I'm sure that most of you are more than aware that Archbishop Vigano gave an interview with a particularly well-known but rather divisive figure earlier this week. It was an interview that touched too much on the issues in what I usually call the city of man, that of those specifically that I call Caesar, the latter term which I use to describe any of the would-be kings who exist outside the church and stand against the mission of Jesus Christ and his church. And while Catholic history certainly shows that eventually, Caesar would in fact convert and become Catholic, and his empire would become Catholic. That's not the situation today, though eventually the triumph of God will happen in the form of the prophesied and promised triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And when that happens, it is anyone's guess, and much of it rides on the leadership of the church doing some basic things, like consecrating a certain country to Our Lady's Immaculate Heart, which has clearly not happened unless people think we live in an age of peace now or have at any time since the events of Fatima, Portugal. Heaven's peace plan is going to be undeniable when it happens and will be unprecedented in history, and it hasn't happened yet. In that interview, though, Vigano touched on some rather worldly statements that I can't repeat here due to the usual and predictable restrictions, but there are two points he makes that I'm going to focus on. They're worth looking at because I think by now most Catholics have lost faith that a material solution to the problems of the world is ever going to come, that what we are engaged in now is a battle of spirits and souls. Thus, Vigano talks about the relationship between what I've always called the ape of the church, which is partnered with the real Caesar on every level. I have to play with the language he uses here to make it okay to post, but his point will still be pretty clear. Quoting Vigano, The aim of the mega restart makes use of the opinion makers as an indispensable ally. They are almost all actively part of the infrastructure of Caesar, and know that all that will be guaranteed to them in the future depends exclusively on their loyal adherence to everything. Labeling those who denounce the existence of this as sort of a promoters of a hidden plan confirms, if anything, that it does exist, and that its authors are very upset at having been found out and reported to public opinion, and yet they themselves have said it nothing will be the same again. And also, their slogan reveals it in an effort to make us believe that the radical changes they want to put in place have been made necessary by the present situation, the changing environment, and by technological progress. Years ago, those who spoke of the Novus Ordo Seclorum were called names. Today, all of the Caesars of the world, including Bergoglio, speak with impunity about it, describing it exactly in the terms that they were identified by those that they called wicked names. It is enough to read their declarations to understand that their ideas and motives are outlined and do exist, and that they pride themselves on being its architects, the point of admitting the need for the present situation in order to reach their objectives of changing everything. To the skeptics, I ask, if the models that are proposed to us today are so terrible, what will our children be able to expect when the Caesars will have succeeded in, the, in asserting themselves totally? Subverted families, sins that crowd to heaven, public end of faith and the imposition of the infernal, Moloch, the end of property, the, and the present situation continuing ad infinitum. Is this the world that we want, that you want for yourselves, your children, and your family and friends? We must all become aware of how much the proponents of the Novus Ordo Seclorum and this reboot have contempt for the inalienable values of our Greco-Christian civilization, such as religion, the family, respect for life, and the inviolable rights of the human person. And lengthy quote. The situation we are watching in the world is inexorably linked to the rise of modernism in the Church. Outside influence at the Second Vatican Council has been well established at this point by various groups who wanted the Church to become an instrument for worldly affairs. 
mission accomplished. In fact, it is the institutional church that is essential to making this operation work at all. Without the authority of Peter, none of this works, for the Catholic Church is the single organization best suited to stand up and offer an alternative to the kingdom of Lucifer. The Church offers and promotes the social reign of Christ the King, a concept that every Pope before the Council spoke about, taught as part of the faith, how we organize ourselves in our daily lives, being inseparable from the authentic teachings of the Church. That isn't the case so much anymore, with the windows of the world having been flung open in the 1960s and a diabolic disorientation having entered into the church, according to Sister Lucia. Since that time, we've seen popes address secular governing bodies, ranging from Paul VI and his trip to New York in the 1970s to Francis Today, which, at this point, I need hardly expound upon yet again. In the 19th century, the stonecutters spoke about the popes leading their change in Tiara and Cope, but warning that if the pontiff came from within their ranks, the whole project would fall apart. Instead, the Pope needed to be a full-throated believer and partner in the worldly mission of the day. That is something we've seen every Pope do since the Council, but none with the artistry of Francis. What we are seeing is a melding of Caesar and Peter, not the complementary association between the two that the Church has always advocated, but an inversion of it. That inversion prepares us for the kingdom of the man of sin. Vigano builds on this, quote, In order to defeat this for Christ, three things are essential. First of all, becoming aware of what Caesar's goal is and to what extent it is the instrumental to the establishment of the kingdom of the Antichrist, since it shares its principles, means, and ends. Secondly, firmly denouncing this infernal goal and asking the shepherds of the church and also the laity to defend her, breaking their guilty silence. God will demand of them an account for their desertion. Finally, it is necessary to pray asking the Lord to grant each one of us the strength to stand. Resistite fortes in fide, St. Peter warns us. Against the ideological servitude that is daily imposed on us, not only by the opinion makers, but also by the cardinals and bishops who are under Bogolio's thumb. If we can prove ourselves strong in facing, this, in facing all of this, if we know how to hold ourselves anchored to the rock of the church without allowing ourselves to be seduced by the precursors to the man of sin, the Lord will permit us to see, at least for now, the defeat of the goals of the children of darkness against God and men. If out of fear of complicity we follow the prince of this world, denying our baptismal promises, we will share with him his inexorable defeat and spend eternity with the fallen angels. I tremble for those who do not realize the responsibility that they have before God, for the souls that he has entrusted to them, but to those who fight courageously to defend the rights of God, their homes, and the family, the Lord assures his protection. He has placed his most holy mother at our side, the queen of victories, and the help of Christians. We invoke her faithfully during these difficult days, confidently certain of her intervention. End quote. Remember for those of you who see darkness right now, given everything going on, we know that God wins in the end, but that it will be at the most absolute darkest point that the beginning of the happy restoration will commence. I'm recording this now before the big event of yesterday even began, so I haven't any idea how things play out. I will say this, though. Scripture reminds us of something that is always very hard for us to accept. It's very hard, and people always bristle when I bring this up. Remember Psalm 145, which I'm reading to you now from the Dewey Rames translation. Put not your trust in princes, in the children of men, in whom there is no salvation. His spirit shall go forth, and he shall return into his earth. In that day all their thoughts shall perish. Blessed is he who hath the God of Jacob for his helper, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Those are words we should hold fast to in these days. That does not mean we do not work to establish the social reign of Christ the King. We certainly must do that. 
We will never find that by putting our faith in the princes of the world. We must pray for their conversions, even and especially if we don't like them, for that is ultimately how the hearts of the Caesars in history were open to our Lord. It can and will happen again, but we must first know that it is that Caesar is doing what Caesar is doing today, and we must know that only in Christ is our victory certain. Try to bear that in mind as 2021 progresses, because I think this is going to be an interesting year. I don't expect that this will be the last we hear from Vigano. Some have speculated that he is in America and receiving support from figures close to the man who interviewed him this week. That may be a possibility, and if so, some speculate that he will likely just keep quiet from here on out. I sort of doubt that myself, at least the keeping quiet part. It's not in his nature. But let me know your thoughts on this in the comments, please. Is Vigano right about this alliance between the same ones who says he's likely, who he says likely worked to get Benedict out, and the ones we see today in the secular world? I'm interested in your opinion, so let me know. As always, pray for the church. Thanks for listening. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.